Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Pradeep is a trained medical doctor who teaches pharmacology in Mangalore, India by day and photographs food in his spare time. When I listened back to my interview with him, all I could think was how ignorant I sounded regarding the food, geography, and culture in India, and how patient he was with my many questions. But really, curiosity is the heart of this podcast. We can't know about other cultures or bear witness to the lives of others without asking questions. Pradeep taught me something Indians say about their own country. Every 100 kilometers, food changes, people change, the language changes. I'm so thrilled today to share a little bit about the people, culture, and food that have shaped Pradeep. Well, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Vicky, for inviting me on. It's of, very exciting. Yeah. Of course. So like I said, we're 10 and a half hours apart. I, I didn't even know half hours were a thing with time zones. I'm in a Washington, D.C. suburb. Where are you? Uh, I'm in a town called uh, Mangalore. Uh, it's in the south of India, on the western coast of okay. India. It is a district uh, capital, actually. The district is called Dakshin Karnataka, and in the state is called Karnataka. I see. Okay. So is that how India is divided? Is India divided into states? Yes, we have states and union territories, and each state is divided into districts, and each district has a district headquarters and many other cities inside Okay, so orient me a little bit. You said you're to the south and to the west. Do you know Bombay? Yeah, uh, Bombay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bombay is on the same coast as Mangalore. We are okay. Mangalore oh. is south. Uh, in relation to Bombay, we are south. Okay. So is it hot there? Yeah, it's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> All the time, year-round? It's Yeah, year-round. It's hot. Uh, the temperature doesn't fluctuate much because oh. it's a tropical climate. We live at the uh, very near to the sea, so... Today, it's pleasant, but the temperature is like uh, 29 today. Uh, that's, I think that's, here, let's see. Yeah, 85. I mean, 85 yeah. is, um, it's not as hot as we get, but that's a definite summer temperature. And that's a pleasant end of winter, <laughs> spring temperature for yeah. you. And Something. then humid as well, because you're by the sea. Yeah. Mm. Last week, the humidity was near 90. Today, it's oh. 60%. Yeah, 60%. Oh, how do you cope with that? We sort of used to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the work, uh, some of the workplaces have air conditioner and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here, the houses are designed in such a way that you have a good uh, airflow. So mm. that I see your engineering solutions yeah. are probably much better than ours because it's what you deal with season in and season out. That makes sense. Mm. We need to learn something from that. Yeah, so its climate is very warm, very humid. Landscapes, you're by the sea, so is it not so hilly? Mangalore is a little bit hilly uh, because we are almost near something called Western Ghats. It's a mountain range Mm. uh, which separates this coastal area from the rest of India. So it's actually quite, the city itself is uh, relatively flat, uh, but the surroundings are quite hilly. Okay. I'm curious about growing seasons. What defines growing seasons where you are in Mangalore? In India, as such, there are two different growing seasons. Mm. Uh, But in Mangalore, it is not really a farming community here. So what Mm -hmm. here 
what people grow here is uh, uh, cash crops like coconuts arecanuts bananas mm. you know stuff like that more horticulture and less agriculture in mangalore okay so we have uh, uh, things growing year round because of the moisture and because of the humidity things grow year round here okay okay i mean india is a massive country correct yeah yeah okay so it probably spans climate zones so you even grow different things in different areas that are more agricultural yeah definitely yeah okay okay mm-hmm. all right and then um in terms of mangalore is it more urban or more rural yeah mangalore is a city through it's a rural. city it's very urban yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's not like uh, it's not like a metropolis or something like that it's you can say it's a mid tier city oh we get, okay uh, we get all the advantages of the big cities without all the problems of the big cities mm, perfection <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Perfection, and then because it's on—I mean—to um, be bordered on one side by the sea, and then on the other side by mountains. I feel like in the U.S. that would be a perfect vacation home. People would travel there just to vacation. Is that the case, or not so much? Something like that. The surroundings are—I mean, there are many vacation homes and mm-hmm. tourist places. Especially mm-hmm. in December, we get a lot of tourists from the West, U.S., Europe, everywhere. Oh, really? <laughs> Ah, I should put that on my vacation list, my bucket list. <laughs> if you do come here, we will host you. Oh, you're, you're so kind. <laughs> okay. And tell me a little bit about yourself. So have you always lived in Mangalore? Uh, no, I was uh, born and brought up in a different city. It is uh, a little bit north of this state. I came to Mangalore only in 2003 when I started my professional education. And mm. I have been living in Mangalore on and off since then. So you went there to start, uh, I guess, to go to university? Yes, yes. So let me jump ahead. What do yeah. you do professionally? Uh, I'm a doctor, medical doctor. Yeah. Uh, my specialty is uh, medical pharmacology. Mm. And I teach in a medical school over here in Mangalore. Medical students, dental students, physiotherapy, nursing, and all those kinds of students. Okay. So then just give me a quick, what is the medical training like and where did you move around to do all of that? So you went to Mangalore to start university and then take me on a quick tour until you got back there three years ago and settled. So Mangalore is uh, the first time when I came here for was for undergraduate uh, mm-hmm. medical school. So that we call it MBBS here. It's uh, five and a half years course mm. with uh, one year of uh, like an internship where you work under different consultants on a rotation basis. Okay. So after that, I worked uh, in a psychiatry setup in two different cities. One in Bangalore, you might have heard of it. It's called Nimhans. It's a big setup. Mm-hmm. And one in uh, uh, Vellore. So after that, I did my post-graduation in pharmacology for three years. That was wow. an, another another city. Uh, pharma industry for years. Uh, now I'm back here. After I got married to my wife, she worked in Mangalore, so I moved here with her. Okay, okay. And what does your wife do? She is a doctor. She's a pathologist. Uh, okay. She works different hospital in the same city. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. One more thing for the introduction. Tell me a little bit about your family of origin that you grew up with and then your family that you care for. So you said you're married, for instance. So my parents uh, both live in Bangalore. It is mm-hmm. the capital of Karnataka. My dad is retired now. So both of them are at home, chilling. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a I have a younger brother. Uh, he is also a doctor. Currently, he is working in Scotland, mm. and I live with my wife. Her parents live in a city nearby, so okay. we visit them on on the weekends. Nice. I do see see my parents like once in a month, something like that. We go mm-hmm. to Bangalore. They come down here sometimes. Family is very important. That's a very core value to my Indian friends and acquaintances. Is it typical for? you know you are at least in a different region from your parents your brothers in an entirely different country is that typical or not so typical uh, nowadays it is especially mm-hmm. for folks living in cities it is mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, the opportunities have opened up a lot in the recent mm-hmm. years and people travel work elsewhere it is you might say that um, around half of the households are like this now mm-hmm. at least a half okay. well educated people travel elsewhere to work stuff like Okay, so let's transition a little bit and tell me about the dish that you gave me to make. So it's called yarne gai or yarne badne kai. So mm-hmm. yarne means oil and badne kai is brinjal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's basically a stuffed brinjal dish. So you make a a stuffing which is nothing but a paste of a typical Indian spices mm-hmm. and the brinjal is uh, split like a flour and you stuff this paste into the brinjal and you saute it. with oil you add a little bit water in the end and cook it a little bit so it's mm-hmm. basically a side dish oh i uh, think i assumed it was a vegetarian main dish but no it's a side dish uh you need to have a roti or some kind of bread with it okay <laughs> you can have it with rice as well so if you have it with rice or mm. roti uh any kind of bread any kind of bread or any bread then then it could be like a vegetarian main dish Yeah, it's a dish. Yeah. When I looked at yours, I was like, I don't have any of these ingredients, none of them. <laughs> But then as I went through, there were just different names for some things that I did have, and then I did have to order some special ingredients. But the name, um, mm-hmm. stuffed brinjal, I had mm-hmm. never heard of brinjal before. But as I looked it up, it looked like it was just eggplant. But then, you know, you and I have conversed. I've never seen eggplant quite so small as this. So tell me a little bit about brinjal. So here we have brinjal in many varieties, and the common eggplant in America we get that here too, mm. uh, but that's not so common. Like it's not available everywhere. Uh, this smaller kind of brinjal is available everywhere. So we okay. have a, a completely purple colored one, a striated purple and white one. We have a green colored one. There are many colors, uh, but it's quite common uh, over here. Okay, and it is very small, like uh, maybe uh, maybe the size of a golf ball. Would you say? Ah uh, no, that's too small. Maybe the okay. size of uh, like uh, orange, small orange or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Bigger okay. than a golf ball. Yeah. Something uh, like a tomato. All right. So yeah, I'm going to just have to do a little extra effort to go searching for those. We have such a diverse population where I live and there's so many different kinds of markets. I might yeah. just need to ask an Indian friend where I can find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Sushma's aunt lives uh, in the US. They live in mm. Boston. Uh, yeah, she mm-hmm. found it quite easily over there, so. She did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just not looking in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> and then like you said it's a stuffed eggplant but it's in curry. So you both stuff it with this seasoning paste and then you take some of the paste and like basically make that into a sauce and you kind of cook it further in the sauce. Am I describing that properly? Yes. This term curry, well it's confused me for a long time because growing up to me curry was something that had curry in it whether leaves or powder. Um but now 
I've read and I've made many recipes that don't have any curry, like the plant <laughs> curry okay. in them. So what yeah. is a curry? Uh, I think it's a very generic term. Like mm. in India, if you say curry, it could mean a variety of things. Basically mm. something which has some kind of gravy along with uh, vegetable or meat or whatever is inside the dish. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything with a little bit of gravy, which is usually had like a side dish with roti naan or rice, that is curry. It's not exactly that it should have a curry leaves or anything like that. Yeah, just that gravy-looking dish is yes. Curry. And how how often would you say? I mean, I'm asking you to speak for a population of like a billion people, which isn't really fair. But how often do Indian people eat curries? Like, is it at least one meal a day? Is it a couple a week? I guess you can just speak for yourself. It's very common, I might say. Like mm-hmm. when I was growing up, these kind of curry kind of dishes were on the table almost every day. Almost every day. Almost okay. every day. It's at least like a one meal a day mm-hmm. because we have the staple food in South India is like one roti will be there. So we used to make chapatis or jowar rotis. That's okay. Fixed and one of these curries or vegetable stir fries with the roti. Okay. And, uh, and then we have rice and something to go with the rice, like a dal or some sambar or something like that. So this is the usual configuration of an Indian meal for lunch and dinner. Wow. That's a lot of food. <laughs> it's a lot of food, yeah. And it's a lot of cooking. That's a lot of labor. Yeah, it is. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I've seen people, they get so good at it that all these uh, four items can be prepared in 45 minutes. So you said the four main components of a meal would be um, a curry, a rice, a roti, and then what's the fourth one? Uh, either dal or a, sambar or something like that. Yeah. And and what is that? Uh, it's like a soup. Uh, like a soup. Terms. Yeah, okay. But you mix it with rice and eat it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is roti? Okay. So for Americans, mm-hmm. roti is nothing but flatbread. Yeah, unleavened flatbread. The simple in simple words, it's unleavened flatbread. Okay. Uh, but we use different grains to make different kinds of rotis. So the oh. names of the rotis are uh, based on that. That's all. Oh, okay. Are naan and roti the same? Different? Is naan a type of roti? Uh, naan and roti both are made from wheat, but the making is a little bit different. And mm-hmm. both naan and roti are more of a North Indian, Central Indian dish. In South India, we make uh, chapatis ah. or something called roti. It is a variant of roti, but uh, it's made from, say, sorghum or raki or millets or different grains. Okay. I just want to clarify, make sure I understood. So you said naan is more typical of Middle India. Middle India, North India. I see. And then where you are, it's either roti or the um, chapati. Okay. All right. You know, of course, we eat Americanized Indian food. So it's interesting to compare. You know, um, (laughs) I don't think you would ever go to an Indian restaurant here and not get non-bread. I think it's just how people relate to it. So it's very interesting that it's not even common for a large part of the Indian population. True. In South India, naan is... uh, for special occasions. Uh, you go to a mm-hmm. restaurant, you have naan. Nobody mm-hmm. makes it at home. Okay. Whoever has a tandoor, you need like a special vessel to make 
naan or roti so whoever has a tandoor electric one or other kind they make it at home oh that it's like a special kind of oven uh it's not really an oven i don't know how to describe it it's uh, the traditional ones are made out of mud there is oh. a charcoal or uh, whatever is producing the heat at the bottom okay. and you stick you stick the atta or the the flattened uh-huh. dough onto uh-huh. the inside of the tandoor this vessel and it uh, heats up there I and mean, once it's fried enough you take it out oh. it is it's almost like a brick oven where you would cook up pizza it, it for instance a, in italy yeah it is a brick oven but a different shape interesting and it's called a tandoor tandoor yeah so they make a lot of dishes in tandoor rotis lot of chicken dishes lot of vegetarian dishes i mean it's uh, if you have a tandoor you can cook like 50 varieties of things in there <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting and you know why else that is interesting is because a lot of indian restaurants are, around here have the name tandoori yeah T-A- so it yeah. comes from okay mm, that's really interesting oh okay so you said that you've seen people they can prepare all four of these dishes mm-hmm. for a meal in 45 mm-hmm. minutes so what are yeah. i mean that would be To be mm-hmm. honest, if you gave me recipes for all four of those things, it might take me a good portion of the day to prepare one meal like that. So what are some of the efficiency techniques that cooks, uh, home cooks in India have put in place? Uh, everything should be reachable. Number mm-hmm. one, uh, if you just extend your head, all the spices should be there. Mm-hmm. That's number one. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. And uh, the vegetables, especially the, there's something called tadka. Mm. Okay, tadka is common for a lot of Indian dishes. So the curry as well as the dal will have tadka. So the ingredients are same for the tadka. So you start with that. You like you it's like in this recipe you put the oil in then you put the uh, jeera and uh, the uh, mustard seeds. That's the beginning of the tadka. It's common for everything. Okay. Okay, onions and tomatoes are common for everything. Yeah. So you cut uh, you chop them together. for both the dishes okay mm-hmm. uh, so and when the lentils and the curry is cooking you can do the dough for your chapati so it's like a, what do you say a coordination if you yes uh huh yeah mm-hmm. yeah well that is very true and that's actually a good point because i might cook uh for the seven suppers that i cook in a week they might be so different that i've yeah. never become really really good at making one meal and and you're right you would know the exact order to do these things in so that's yeah. a good point mm mm-hmm. so if you know that then it becomes uh, relatively easy mm-hmm. and if you have a, a son or two to help you fry the chapati yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes faster <laughs> oh six hands are better than two <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the um I, uh, what's what's the word it's kind of like the crown jewel <laughs> of indian cooking why everyone loves indian food is these spices these beautiful <laughs> spices and the spice combinations are endless and it's just so flavorful there's nothing bland about indian food are these spices grown you know do they just flourish by the side of the road are they grown on larger farms and then you know processed you know or or do people have spice gardens tell me a little bit about how spices are grown and harvested in india okay so that's a let's the second big thing from what i know 
so these spices grow in specific uh, temperatures and conditions mm. they grow in the shade of bigger trees uh, oh so in the shade of bigger trees yeah some of the spices and oh. some of them can be grown uh, like a regular garden kind of a situation uh, for example pepper it's a creeper it cannot grow by itself pepper has to grow along a bigger tree pepper has to grow along a bigger tree yeah it's a creeper so it has to creep really? along yeah so most of the spices are like this so spice gardens are very common in our neighboring state it's called kerala you might have heard mm. of it so mm. there are many spice gardens in kerala and uh, it's usually a part of a bigger orchard like they have mm. some other trees or uh, um, bushes growing and spices are grown along with them but mm-hmm. uh, nobody grows most of the spices at home because for example me we live in an apartment building we live in the mm. fifth floor there is no garden in here so right. there's, no, <laughs> there's no way to grow those but some of those uh, like coriander or mm-hmm. curry leaves they grow very commonly everywhere like mm. anybody who has a small patch of uh, ground can grow those things but the yeah. actual just like pepper and the, the other cumin seeds jeera they you can't really grow them anywhere mm. so you have okay. to buy them from somewhere and it, they are very commonly available the the things which are there in this recipe for example they are available anywhere in india it's normal like a basic spices should i say mhm mhm and then your um most food shopping like for you you're in a city so it would be just going to the grocery store just to, like it is um for an average american yeah like walmart or something you just walk yeah. in and everything is on the aisles you just pick it up yeah we have like uh, we have many kinds of places where you can get fresh produce mm. um, most of the times in indian cities there is a central market mm. where in all the farmers bring in their uh, produce mm. and sell it at a wholesale rate and oh. then uh, central markets distribute it across the city okay so as, as a cons- like as a private consumer could you go to one of these markets and just pick something up at a little bit of a cheaper rate or do you have to um almost have like a wholesale license or something to go shop at that no anybody can go in anybody can go in anybody. okay and these you are just it for a cheaper price there yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and are they open all you know every day of the week you could go on the weekend and pick up your produce for the next week yeah every day they don't stop working but you have to okay. go early otherwise it just disappears it goes to all the stores so I see. I see. Okay. And then also um I see you mentioned this but I was going to ask you're by the sea so you must eat a lot of seafood. Port like it's a you're rich you're rich in that resource yeah. of seafood. True, true. But we don't uh, I mean my wife is vegetarian so we don't eat at home. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, in Mangalore fish is like a staple food. Many people fish is like a daily food. Many varieties of fish, very fresh fish. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit about you took the time to write this really lovely email. And so I knew food must be very very important to you. So I guess I'll start with you personally. What does food mean to you personally? And then we'll enlarge that and just talk about what food means within Indian culture. Okay, so at different parts of my life, food has mm-hmm. meant different things to me. When I was growing up, I never thought much about food whatever was put on the plate it used to disappear mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
to your mom's delight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Also, and she had to cook more and more and more. Yeah. <laughs> so me and my brother, we used to, we were very, very active kids. So we used to eat a lot uh, back in the day. But we didn't think much about what's happening and uh, where it's coming from, why we are eating what we are eating. Uh, but we st- slowly understood those things later on in life. Uh, when I moved out uh, for college and uh, stuff like that, I was uh, mostly eating out of canteens and uh, mm-hmm, mess mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. Um, it was good, uh, but uh, I did realize like uh, how much people depend on home-cooked meals in India. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, so I later realized that. And uh, thankfully, when we were kids, we were in the kitchen a lot. Mm. Uh, we learned a lot of things. So when it came time for me to live by myself, I had the skills to cook basic things for mm. myself. Chapati, dal, rice, and one of the vegetable curries. I could easily make all those things. So yeah. I was thankful for that. So then I realized, uh, you know, the intricacies in putting food on your own table. Mm-hmm. So that was a different aspect for me. And mm. then I grew a little older, started earning and all. The food um, opened up different things for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I tried different kinds of foods. And recently I started taking an interest in photographing food. So mm-hmm. that's like a whole different ball game. You have to think of so many things. So all throughout my life, I have thought of like a food in a different way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at different phases of my life. It's been very important uh, for sure. Uh, like I said, we didn't put that much of an emphasis on food before. But when I listen to your guests, I realize that uh, we don't realize how much importance we give to our food. When I listen yeah. to people speak about it, then I realize, okay, I have the same thoughts, but we never put it out. Like we never had uh, conversations about so deeply. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that I realized when I heard your guests and that's mm-hmm. why it attracted me so much. Like one of your guests uh, was from Europe and mm-hmm. uh, they could experience uh, Swiss food one day yeah. and uh, then Parisian food the other day and then the German food. Like they have a clear delineation uh, between these different kinds of food. They have a mm-hmm. mature... Uh, differentiation but when it comes to India people say that uh, every hundred kilometers the food changes language changes people change mm. but we don't realize that how different Indian food is but uh, it, uh-huh. after listening to all these people it gave me pause like yes we are also exploring but we don't have names for like uh, you know all these foods that we experience <laughs> that's why it was so interesting listening to all these people you know and they mm. they are really proud of their food and mm-hmm. they can link it to uh, their families, their mm-hmm. ancestors. Mm-hmm. I have to really think about all these things you now. If uh, like, how is it linked to my ancestry? Because all of uh, the relatives which I know, everybody eats the same food, and nobody was so much into it that yes, they always said that the recipes came from their forefathers, but I never put so much thought into it. That, mm-hmm. that interested me. How it really connects you to previous yeah. generations. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong, is that 
how Europeans can celebrate the differences in food by mm-hmm. saying, oh, this is Hungarian or this is Scandinavian. You kind of wish that in India you named the differences so precisely because you'd like to celebrate what each different region brings. I guess it is there, but I wish mm-hmm. I paid more attention to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it's not so evident. It is not so evident, if I'm being frank. I can go to any part of India and I could eat the food and still feel it's Indian food and be happy about it. Like I wouldn't find it alien or extremely different. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You said, I just want to get that right. Every 100 kilometers, you find a different language, different people, different food. Is that what you said? Yeah, commonly said in India. Mm. That's (laughs) It's mm. very true. uh, I have experienced firsthand and many of my friends or acquaintances who have visited from uh, outside India, they've told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you said that your wife is vegetarian. And um, I I feel like I know, I would say I know a higher proportion of vegetarians among my Indian friends and acquaintances than the general population. Would you say that there's a reason why um, a lot of Indian people tend to go vegetarian? Or is again, is that just something that's maybe anecdotal from my life? Oh, not really. There is a reason. And it ties into your previous question, like how important is food to Indians? Mm -hmm. Uh, In simple words, food is religion. Mm. Okay, And religion sometimes dictates what you eat. Mm. And what you eat can tell people about your religion. Oh, it's wow. Mm. So, mm. so many people don't eat meat, eggs, fish, etc. as their religion. It does not allow them to eat all those things. So, so what religion is that? There are like, uh, I would say there are, you know, it's not like a broad religion. Mostly Hindus are vegetarians. Okay. Uh, but now there are many types in English, like I will not tell you all that. It's too complex for me to understand you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there are many types of Hindus, and there are many types of uh, you know Muslims and Christians, Sikhs. So many religions in India. Mm. Okay. So yeah. uh, some of the Hindus are pure vegetarians. That means okay. they cannot eat any meat, fish, mm. eggs, and some of them even don't have milk and milk products. Okay. Um, but uh, there are others, uh, like say, both me and my wife are Hindus. I, okay. In my family, we eat non-vegetarian food, but in her family, they don't. Okay. So there are differences like that. It's and that, is, that a, is it just a preference or are there different uh, strands, I guess, of Hinduism that require different things? Uh, yeah, you can say that. It's like a different strand altogether. Mm. They, uh, the beliefs are same. The gods are the same. Mm-hmm. And the way we pray are the same, but some mm-hmm. uh, basically it goes back to the caste system. So mm-hmm. that's where nowadays it, these kinds of uh, differences are not so evident. The food uh, preferences have become more uh, ubiquitous, like everybody eats everything. So. But still, yeah. there is difference. Uh, if you go back like uh, 20 years or something, these differences were much more evident than what it is now. I see. Is the caste system essentially just... Uh it's kind of eroding to the point that it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it exists. It exists, but nobody cares okay. about it. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So it's by name. You're, yeah. you're this cast or that cast, but nobody really cares or pays attention. 
nobody cares about it especially in the cities but there are people who do okay so how i mean maybe it's too complicated and just tell me if it is so how does the choice to be um i guess it's not so much a choice but it's dictated to you to be vegetarian or not how does that relate to the caste system oh yeah so there are particular castes uh, who will not eat non-vegetarian food it's as simple oh. as that okay mm. okay and then talk to me about So talk to me about hospitality and food and culture in India. Oh yeah, so in India food plays a very big part in hospitality. Mm. Nobody I mean you may not see a person who is sweet talking to you or giving you a lot of words but mm. they will give you a lot of food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's love for Indians. Mm-hmm. Food is mm-hmm. love. How mm-hmm. much they feed you is directly proportional to how much they love you. <laughs> yes, not just Indians, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then tell me a little bit about your food photography. You said that's a big, a big part of it now for you. Oh yeah. Uh, so when I moved to Mangalore, I suddenly had a lot of time on my hands. Mm. So when mm. I came here, I was teaching in a medical school. I was free after five years. Mm. <laughs> so i uh, i had time and that time there was a sudden increase in the number of restaurants in the city you heard about the concept of cloud kitchens no okay so they don't have a restaurant space but they deliver food got it okay so those kinds of things were growing a lot and there was i think there was a lacuna for food images for mm-hmm. these kinds of businesses and i was going to all newly opened restaurants and i was trying them out because I love to try new dishes and mm. I was taking pictures of them. So okay. I was interested in shooting uh, all these different foods and suddenly the restaurant started noticing that. So oh. this was uh, in early 2018 and okay. uh, some of the restaurants saw my pictures on Instagram and they were like we want you to come in and shoot for us. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so I had done uh, not many jobs because it was like a freelance thing from Uh, so i used to shoot on weekends for some of these restaurants and bloggers and uh, soon i got i started getting questions because the uh, questions from food bloggers because this industry was growing rapidly the number uh-huh. of food bloggers exploded in the city oh <laughs> yep I, and they were shooting me many questions about how you did that how we did that how oh, okay i thought i should uh, i should hold a workshop so i did a workshop for 10 Uh, food bloggers in March last year. That's amazing. <laughs> and so those people are still in contact with me. We still talk about uh, techniques and stuff. And I'm doing one more workshop this March on the 21st in Trivandrum. It's a different city. Um, okay. I, it's I'm quite into like uh, food photography now, but mm-hmm. it's not a full time thing. But I do do it. And your blog really, you know, that's what drew me to your group. Uh, podcast actually the first thing i noticed were your food images so dreamy mm. so dramatic and mm. there's so much thought into it so mm. that's what drew me to your instagram that, that's how i found you then mm. i found that you have a podcast then i you know <laughs> <laughs> I well 
That's the idea. That's what, that's the progression that I want <laughs> for people. Um, I do put a lot of heart into it and yeah, I just, this is what I want to do. And I wanted to tell these really authentic stories and I'm so curious and I feel like there's an entire universe to learn here and to share with others. And now when I do take photos, I feel so connected to them because I'm taking everything that I know to be important to someone and putting it in this photo to the best of my ability. And it just feels so it means a lot to me that that was the path that you took um, into finding out what I'm doing because that's, yeah, that's the path that I want uh, yeah, to walk. What you're doing is, is just amazing. Uh, mm. I really appreciate what you're doing and it gives me a lot of ideas too. Mm. And, and like you said, I am uh, really picky about who I work with mm. and I'm lucky that uh, I have a job already and I yeah. can <laughs> somebody like I want to work with. Uh, I mean, I don't shoot for a lot of uh, clients i have very few clients and mm. those clients are very nice to me and that's why i work with them so mm. <laughs> like well and it's really cool that you're doing workshops and and reaching out and teaching with what you know that's really cool that's great. That's great. So um, I have a couple more questions along this line, these lines of, um, you know, what it means to you and what it means to your culture. So, you know, you said when you were younger, you just kind of food appeared on your plate and you inhaled it. And <laughs> you were grateful in the sense that you were growing. I think, you know, yeah. like we said, to, for a mom's primal instinct to see their sons growing and flourishing is gratitude enough. But when you first started to cook more on your own and you did start to realize what went into it, do you feel well, first of all, I'm making an assumption. I'm assuming that your mom did the cooking. Is that true or not true? Yes, yes. That My is true. father was working in a different city and he used okay. to come on the weekend. So it's me, okay. my mom and my brother all the time. Um, so. Okay, okay. And did your mom work? Uh, no, she was not working. Uh, she is actually a lawyer. She got her degree in uh, law when we okay. were in high school. In addition to taking care of two kids, she got a law degree. Wow. But Mm -hmm. uh, she never uh, practiced it because, uh, you know, it was not feasible for us, for her. Yeah, not not with a husband living mm. a whole city away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you did start to learn these things or to practice them, I guess, because like you said, you had learned them. Did you find that a bond with your mom kind of increased? It's kind of a growing bond. Like I would say that it matured a lot. Mm. Uh, my mom was not always well, like mm -hmm. a lot of times. So we had to... Uh, pitch in how uh, many times and okay. uh, we had quite a close bond even back then we learned a lot of things uh, when she's not well we should take care of things and uh, it used to work that way so mm. yeah we, it matured a lot she's doing well uh, now but uh, uh, you know this kind of things do help uh, that uh, bond to form we had a good bond beforehand and it matured mm. a lot mm. uh, we could talk about it Yes, yeah. right. It's something you had in common. And she must have been incredibly gratified that something she had put all of this time and love into you were now yeah. showing an interest in. Definitely. She was mm. happy. And uh, I don't know, she keeps telling me this story. She wanted a girl. The oh. first child. <laughs> and I guess it sort of made sense for her that I did all this stuff. And <laughs> Mm. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, it's you just said something interesting about your not mom not being well because, you know, most people having been through the rigor of medical mm -hmm. training and then 
having practiced uh, medicine, and then like you said, you know, you quote, have all this time on your hands, most people would consider just a regular full-time job of teaching medical students at this phase in their life with everything you've, um, all the energy you've already put out to be enough and that they earned a little bit of leisure in their evenings and on their weekends. But you're turning this into a whole additional business and um, to hear that your mom was not well and that you had a lot of responsibility growing up, that really makes sense to me because you grew up as a very occupied, productive, busy, and giving sort of person. And so that spills over as an adult. I've never heard it described like this, but mm. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> I mm. guess. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we were, uh, it was par for the course for us. She was not like so unwell that she couldn't take care of anything. But mm-hmm. yes, uh, she was ill sometimes and uh, we had to step in. But she was yeah. always there for us to support it. Mm-hmm. Especially because dad was not around. Uh, that was yeah. why we had to step in and it was good for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of similarities between you and my husband. He got used to always being busy. And like you said, always kind of pulling his own weight, making sure that he's taking care of everybody. Um, And I I see that in you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about this dish, the stuffed brinjal, or um, you also called it um, the uh, yene badanaki, badanakai. 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 Okay. Um, So why did you choose this one? What's meaningful about it to you? This is the first dish that popped into my head when you uh-huh. asked for a recipe. And it is my favorite dish, one of my favorites to be mm. uh, specific. So, uh, in I like brinjal in general, but this is the favorite brinjal curry that I like. And my mom makes, for, makes this for me. Whenever I go home, like, okay, so you're coming tomorrow? Okay, I'm preparing your brinjal curry. It'll be ready by the time you come. <laughs> so it's like uh, that feeling of going home is attached to this uh, curry. Mm-hmm. And my mom has told this to all my relatives. So when I go to any relative's house, they make this for me. Mm. So it is uh, sort of, uh, I, I, I like this taste a lot because I especially like anything with peanuts in them. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, so that, that adds a big dimension, especially you might have tried some Thai food. You might have seen that they sprinkle peanut powder on everything. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that? Uh, so yeah, it adds a very nice warm kind of a taste to mm-hmm. all your dishes so mm-hmm. i like that about this dish so that's that's why i chose this like it was not any specific logical reasoning i just yeah. love dish i i can completely appreciate that it's just a dish yeah. you love and that's great yeah. i'm so glad that i got to experience that that's and you said your mom makes it for you and you've told me a little bit about her is yeah. there anything else you'd like to tell me about your mom my mom comes from uh, like a small village in northern mm-hmm. karnataka Okay, mm-hmm. so she was one of the first people in her village, in her family, to be well educated. Mm-hmm. Um, before she got married, she had a degree in a language, uh, mm-hmm. in the local language, Kannada language degree. And uh, she was sort of a firebrand in her village. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some sort of uh, discrimination in the village back then. So she was the one who used to raise her voice against all these people without fear of the consequences. Wow. <laughs> Uh, but that's how it was. Mm. And uh, she almost got a job as a riot police when she really? was younger. Can I back up for a minute? And then I want to hear yeah. about that. So first of all, she was discriminated against. Did this have to do, is this a, a racial thing, a financial thing? Does it go back to the caste system? Yeah, it is 
coming from the caste system. Yeah. Okay. 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 And then without fear of the consequences, did she ever have to speak up and then did she suffer consequences for this? Not really. Her dad was uh, like, he was a farmer and he also had some, uh, you know, leather and uh, what is that? Jute uh, works. Uh, he used to uh-huh. do all these things. He was a kind of well-respected person. She didn't, uh, she didn't suffer any big consequences, but oh. people used to get furious when she did that. Like, <laughs> why are you doing <laughs> Why are you raising your voice? It's unnecessary. And she would she just wouldn't tolerate that. And mm. She did it anyway. Mm. Mm. Thankfully, she didn't suffer. Okay. <laughs> and then you told me she was going to be a riot police. Is that like a common job there to be a riot police officer? It's not common. Oh. <laughs> and it's uh, quite dangerous because, you know, the name suggests it's quite a dangerous job. And okay, she was offered the job. She was willing to take it up. But her dad was like, no way. You're going to study further. And she's thankful that he didn't allow her to do the job. Uh, she got to do her degree and stuff like that. She was more educated in that way. So she got uh, she got married. Uh, I don't know. After her degree, she got married. And she studied. She still uh, had the zeal to study, even after, you know, having two kids who were in high school. And she did her law degree when we were in high school. So wow. I really appreciate that about her. So. Mm, that was so for you again I think that says something about you and your character you weren't um, resentful of that or you didn't feel like well why aren't you spending more time to take care of me but rather you respected it and were willing to chip in around the house in order to enable her to do that yeah definitely we never resented it and we were actually uh, quite proud of it if you think of it and uh, she jumped through many hoops to manage both the college and our education and effort. So mm-hmm. we could appreciate that. Yes. And uh, this zeal for learning is there in both my parents. Mm-hmm. Actually, right now, uh, my dad is retired and both of them are doing a community mental health course. Really? Yeah, they're going to go into community and... Uh, find people who have some mental health issues and, uh, you know, counsel them, direct them towards proper health care resources. That's That's, the path they're going. That's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. My dad never stopped learning. He continuously attends, uh, what do you call it, continuing medical education courses. And Mm -hmm. he has done many distance education degrees after he got retired from uh, his service as a doctor. Wow. Wow. Mm, That's great. That's really good. And I'm glad that after all those years that they were apart, you know, except for on weekends that they're able to have this time to be. So that could really challenge a lot of marriages, but they survived it and and flourished. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So tell me about yourself now and your cooking. Um, So how, how often do you cook? My cooking is dependent on what my wife wants. <laughs> we don't cook very often. Uh, uh-huh. It's like uh, we don't cook every day. Uh, yeah. We go to her mom's place every weekend. So okay. when we come from there on Monday mornings, we have some food with us. Like which, oh, can, okay. which we can uh, eat for a while. So that's her lunch. Our breakfast is usually... Uh, muesli and smoothies 
she makes the smoothies and uh, usually i eat the muesli with the thing and uh, dinner is the one which uh, i have lunch at work and she has the lunch which she brought from home from her mom mm. uh, so dinner is the one where uh, sometimes we cook okay uh, so whatever she wants i cook that so today okay. i made something called uh, poha it's a light dish made with puffed rice and Ooh. tadka mm. puffed rice and what uh you you add the tadka to that the same oil onion tomatoes oh uh, yeah mhm mhm got it that sounds delicious mm. and so, so do you do all of the cooking around the house yes yeah mm. all of it so she is not much into cooking because she has she does, she hates doing the dishes so yeah yes <laughs> i know so. if i could just get over the dishes <laughs> I relate to her hears. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to talk to you a little bit more about making this particular dish because as you know, I always try to attempt it before I have the conversation, but I really ran into a roadblock. I have to find this brinjal because like I said, when I started looking at the volume in the actual paste or in the curry, I was like, well, this isn't going to work unless I really do find some small brinjal to stuff. So I need to find that. And then um you said cut it like a flower in an X but preserve uh, the stalk. So I guess I turn that upside down and the bottom end I just cut an X. It's just as I guess as I squeeze it it'll kind of open up a little bit and I can stuff it and then it will almost close back up again on itself. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Don't cut it till the stalk like uh, keep a half a centimeter away from the stalk. Keep a half centimeter away from the, Oh, so I do cut the uh, stalk end. Uh, no no you cut it from the opposite end oh. until you reach uh, close to the stalk oh, yeah like half a oh i see okay i was not picturing that correctly so i cut it all the way through yeah i've seen some pictures and okay. uh, video so i think it will give you an idea it it should open up but mm. when you stuff it it should still be a whole brinjal Okay. And then you specifically said that the jaggery, which is a dark sugar, it's made from um from sugarcane, is a little too much for some of your friends and I can adjust it. Okay. So truth be told, this yeah. recipe when my mom makes it, she doesn't use any jaggery or coconut. <laughs> uh, so so this recipe is a little bit modified kind of a recipe. Uh, okay. <laughs> so when I tried it, I did not feel like this is what my mom makes. <laughs> Then I asked her like what's the difference? Then she told me no jaggery, no coconut. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this one's going to be a, a a little bit sweeter than yeah. um you can totally skip it. If you can't find it, you can totally skip it. Please reduce the quantity like. For me it was sweet, but uh, when Sushma's aunt made it, she said uh, it was not because they prefer less spicy. I I like it more spicy so. Okay. That sounds good. I probably can't handle the spice that you can handle. <laughs> My husband probably uh, can, but I don't think I can. <laughs> uh, uh, in the recipe that I sent you, uh, there is nothing spicy except the red chilies. The chilies. Yeah, uh, I saw that and I thought, okay, I might have to save one or two of those on the side. <laughs> no, just skip it. It'll still taste awesome. Just okay. Yeah. And then the eggplant gets cooked twice, right? So you kind of sear it the first time and then it gets cooked a little longer in the curry, correct? Yeah, this the first time you uh, saute it uh, on both the sides. Mm-hmm. It becomes a little softer and when you add uh, 
water along with the leftover paste and everything it gets cooked again so okay. the total process is like uh, 10 minutes of cooking total oh only 10 minutes okay uh, so usually it cooks very fast because it's quite a soft uh, vegetable so it might vary depending on the kind that you get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what are you looking for when so whenever i cook I, i've not i've never cooked with brinjal but whenever i cook eggplant i'm usually roasting it kind of to oblivion i've never cooked it this way so what am i how am i testing for doneness so here um, i guess you have cooked some aubergines sometime uh not really no i don't okay. cook it uh, very so much i have to think about something to compare the consistency anyway so if you push a fork through it it will go in very easily okay, okay. Mm-hmm. and the skin will almost separate okay it's quite soft but uh, like uh, not baba ganesh level <laughs> you can still see the whole brinjal okay yeah you yeah. don't want it to yeah. start to really just lose yeah. its shape and turn into a mush Okay. All right. Well, um Pradeep, those are all the questions I have. I is there anything else you would like to share? Um not really. Yeah, it was it was wonderful talking about all these things uh, with you. And I did not think that I would be explaining what is Yenne Badnanka to an American at any point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel very very honored that you did and I feel you were very patient with me some some very basic questions. So I have my schedule planned out all the way until the summer and I have about I don't know 3 or 4 more Indian guests coming on and I feel that you've kind of built a little bit of a scaffolding for me that I can hopefully address them more intelligently. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, like uh, there's a lot about india you know if you if you get a person from a slightly different area they might have a completely different set of stories to tell you so it's going to be very interesting for you and i can tell you that right now <laughs> it is going to be interesting and i hope to do this for a long long time and i know that every time i will continue to learn more but you've yeah. really started i i mean i've i'm i'm basically completely ignorant and you've given me that first base level of knowledge <laughs> so i appreciate that and i really love what you said about 100 kilometers a different language a different people a different food and i will yeah. really keep that in mind as i speak to other guests so i should i should give it you know right back at you i have learned about so many different cultures <laughs> from your podcast there are only two podcasts which i listen to one is oh. yours and the other one is uh, cooking with an italian accent both are related to food and i like to listen to these kinds of things and that one is uh, a little bit different format she explains a lot she teaches cooking in rural italy oh. so yeah that's so, i would love to listen to that thank you so very much pradeep thank you very much for including me in your podcast Okay, have a good evening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again to Pradeep. You can find all of his contact information as well as his brinjal curry recipe on my website, The Storied Recipe. Simply go to the podcast episodes tab and you'll find this one. I'll be taking next week off to observe the final week of Lent and prepare for Easter, even while isolating here at home. I can't wait to return the following week with an interview with Anella Malik and her intriguing tagline Food is political. We'll talk about the experiences that led her to use food blogging as a vehicle for advocacy for the marginalized in all the nations in which she lives and works. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss that episode. In the meantime, stay safe 
and have a great week, my friends.